we've been looking at the theme of building your spiritual house. And I want to pause and reiterate what I said a few minutes ago, that in my study and my prayer time, I, I really feel like God it wants to use today uh, to change your life. Uh, open your mind and your heart to understand something uh, better. Um, maybe release you from uh, uh, intellectual or spiritual constraints or bondages you may have had, or even present to you uh, something new that you hadn't heard or thought of in that way. And so um, I think if you'll stay tuned and listen to what God wants to speak to, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to touch your life. So I'm going to pray and ask uh, God to do just that. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you, um, you love us and you gave us your word and revealed yourself to us through it. And we pray today, Lord, as we look at it, as we speak about it, uh, that, Lord, it would go and have its intended effect in our life and our heart, that your Holy Spirit would carry your words to our heart and that it would take root and it would change our lives in your name. Amen. Last week we looked at a parable that brought us hope and a challenge, right? It was building our foundation on a rock. And so we, there was hope in that and there was a challenge in that. And you can go back and, and look at that on the different media platforms uh, uh, if you'd like. But today, because of that hope, uh, we're going to focus on the challenge. So I'm not going to reestablish the hope we were issued a challenge. That challenge was to build our lives on Jesus Christ. And so um, I'm going to assume here as we jump into this that you already recognize a few things about Christ, okay? That uh, you recognize that he is who he said he is. If, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they quote Jesus, and he said some pretty powerful things about himself. And so I'm going to assume already that you recognize uh, that he is who he said he is, and that's he's the son of God, which means he was fully God and he's fully man. And, and we're not going to get into all the theology around that, but that he is fully God and he was fully man. That he came as a sacrifice for our sins. Uh, and through that sacrifice as he came, we were able to have a reconciliation with God. Uh, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that he rose to life again, and then he ascended into heaven, which is where he is currently. And that in that ascending to heaven, he's gone to prepare a place for you and for me to live with him for an eternity. Okay, when we talk about the rock of Jesus Christ, these are the, this is who he is. This is the belief that we're building on this. And so I'm going to assume that already. Uh, and if you need to learn more about those components or those pieces about the rock or Christ, uh, leave a comment in the message section below, email the church, be more than happy to sit down and walk through that with you. So as we've already uh, established that, and as we walk and talk about laying a foundation on Christ, it's understood that we're laying our foundation on what we just said, on Jesus Christ himself. Um, if you don't recognize these things about Jesus Christ as the rock, then you're taking your chances and building your foundation on something other than him. And it's uh, the parable from last week told us that really that's destined for failure. So those are some assumptions. That's where we're headed today. So let's, let's jump right in here. Let me ask you this. What is the purpose 
of a foundation. We looked at this picture last week. The foundation is the, the concrete, the block, the rock, whatever, that's below the surface that you really can't see. And so what is its purpose? And I really like uh, a website's um, definition of this. It's uh, on hunker.com. They said this, the purpose of a foundation is to hold up and hold together the structure above it. And I, I just, uh, that's a true statement, but I think it's such a great definition for, for our conversation here as well. That the purpose of the foundation is to hold us up and hold us together in our life, okay? So this is true in physical buildings, and it's also true in our lives. So what is the foundation that is built on Jesus Christ? Uh, so, great you asked that question. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, lay out some pieces that are in that foundation. Let's take a look at that this morning. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation. And then he goes on here to list pieces of that foundation. The foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instructions about cleansing rites or baptisms, your translation might say. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So today we're going to look at those first two. The repentance and the faith. And we're going to look at these two together because they're, they're very closely related. You really can't have one without the other, right? I know that was a popular sitcom in the late 80s, early 90s, right? A song, Love and Marriage, you can't have one without the other. So repentance and faith, they really, uh, um, it, you can't really separate the two. So first, let's, uh, let's take a look at faith because I think faith um, is the more easily understood component, and then we'll spend some time looking at the repentance piece. So, what is faith? Well, the standard Christian answer would be Hebrews 11, chapter 1, which says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. And so, faith is this confidence in our, in our hope, right? And this, this, also this confidence, this assurance in something we can't see. Now, uh, that's kind of a standard, hey, uh, it's hope and confidence in what you can't see, that's Jesus Christ. But what what exactly does that mean? And uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, he really lays this out and talks about faith and action. And I'm just going to read verse 20. I encourage you to read really all of those verses. But it says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless. So he's saying like faith has two components to it. That that faith is a is a confidence and a belief in something that you can't see already. Um, I have you know uh, faith in God. I can't see God, but I believe what He says is true. Okay, and that faith is proved by action, 
And really, if there's no action that accompany the, the belief, then it's not really faith. Because you're moving forward. Your confidence and your assurance, you're moving forward as if what you can't see is already true and already realized. I'll give you uh, an example. This stool here. Um, if, if somebody handed this stool to me and said, here's a, here's a stool for you to sit on, and I've never sat on this stool. Uh, this is the first time I've ever seen this stool. And faith would be, uh, I would believe the stool would hold me or this person wouldn't have given it to me. But faith is me actually sitting in the stool. And so once I've exercised my belief and my faith and I sit in the stool, I've exercised that. Now I don't need faith to continue sitting in the stool because I already know it holds my weight. And so we believe... Uh, Faith uh, is trust coupled with obedience. So we act on the things we trust, and that's our faith. There's an old uh, hymn that said, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than trust and obey, right? And so uh, this faith is a combination of trust in him and who he is and what he says, and then an obedience to those things, even though you can't see him. That's our faith. And so faith in God means to, to trust God and follow him, obey his instructions, his teachings. So I think that's um, universally understood. We could talk a lot about it because I think some folks think it's just believing, uh, but sometimes we don't couple our action with our belief, and then therefore it's not really faith if you're not allowing it to alter or change your life. So uh, that's, that's the faith pat, uh, aspect of it. Let's move on to what is repentance. Um, Repentance, John the Baptist talked about it. Jesus Christ uh, preached it. Peter preached it. Paul preached it. Uh, We see it all through uh, the New Testament. and We actually see it in the Old Testament as well. Um, And so we have to uh, understand what repentance is. Here's a quote from Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So, I mean, what does it mean to repent? Is it an emotional response like uh, distress or grief or sorrow to something that you feel guilty of? Is repentance just uh, saying, I'm sorry? Is repentance making up for the wrong that you've done by paying some money to the church or somewhere else, a a charity? Is Is it denying yourself something uh, is, it, is it making up for it with a good act, like doing some kindness somewhere to make up for what you've done? Is it a, or is it, is it a one-time acknowledgement of your sin uh, before God, like, yes, God, I, I repent, I'm a sinner, and then you, know, you can move on. It's just this one-time thing. Well, to get an accurate definition of what repentance is, we really need to look at the Old Testament word for repent and the New Testament word for repent, and put those things together, and that will give us a biblical understanding of what it means to repent. And I know this is important. Because I grew up in a, in a what we described as a fire and brimstone kind of uh, culture, that the pastor regularly preached on repent and called us to the altar, and uh, you know it was just a, if you weren't crying and snot coming out of your nose, you weren't really repentant. Um, 
And so that was a concept of repentance that I had. Others maybe have grown up in a liturgical church where it was about uh, making up for the wrongs that you did. And, and there's pieces of truth in all of those things. Uh, but m- for many of us, the idea of what repentance is and isn't has escaped us. And so I want to look at the scripture with you this morning. In the Old Testament, which was written in the language, the Hebrew language, uh, the word repent, actually translated in their language, means to turn around. And it would uh, give the illustration of somebody who's traveling down a road and realizes that I'm traveling in the wrong direction. And they would turn around and travel in the correct uh, direction. So the word actually just means to turn around. Uh, repent. Turn around. You're headed the wrong way. Start heading the right way. And that was an Old Testament concept, uh, or, I'm sorry, um, an Old Testament interpretation of that Hebrew word. Okay, it was used in a lot of different contexts to help the Israelites and help others, but the Hebrew word meant to turn around. The New Testament was written in the Greek language, and the word repent in the Greek language means to change your mind or purpose. So it's just a, a, a change of mind, a change of thought, a change of purpose in the intent, it's, it's, a, it's an alteration, right? A change. So when you put these two together, what you have is they're very similar, but a little bit of nuanced differences. It's to change your mind or purpose and turn, turn around. I think you can draw the conclusions and see the resemblance. So biblical repentance involves the intellect and the will, it's a choice, okay? It's the choice to abandon sin and move towards godliness. And it begins in the intellect, in the mind, as you think and you come to the realization, I'm headed in the wrong direction. What I'm doing is wrong, or this isn't right, right? Something in the mind clicks. Now, Many times it involves emotions like grief and uh, sorrow or distress, realizing that you've traveled the wrong way. I I mean, if when I was on sabbatical last year and and we were out in the middle of nowhere, you could easily drive 50 miles out of your way before you realized, oh my goodness, I've gone the wrong direction. And in those moments, you realize, I just wasted two hours of my time and a whole tank of gas and i got to get back to where I was before. And there's a little bit of anger, distress, sorrow, whatever, that's all mixed feelings, and then you turn around. So there's uh, uh, emotions more than likely are involved in it, but biblically, repentance is not an emotional response. It's an intellectual uh, response that involves your will as well. It's a choice to a change of mind and then a turn, which is the intellect and then the turning is the will. Let me me show you two biblical uh, illustrations so that you can understand what repentance is and isn't. The first one is a very popular parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son, depending on your translations. It's found in Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 32. Again, I encourage you to read the entire uh, section there, but we're only going to look at 
a few of those verses to help us illustrate. So Luke chapter 15, uh, I'm going to start in verse 17. Uh, the, the youngest son has uh, asked his dad for his portion of the inheritance, and then he has gone off to another country, wasted that inheritance, and is now working in a very menial, almost subhuman job, uh, one that his culture would have um, been repulsive. And so uh, now we come to verse 17, and it says this, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Let's stop there. So we see the two pieces in this. In verse 17, it said he came to his senses. What does that indicate? That indicates he had an awakening. He had an intellectual understanding that all of a sudden a light flipped. Like, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. He came to his senses. He re- had this realization that what I'm, not doing, what I'm doing is not working. And so he had this understanding like something needs to change. I need to do something different. We see this change of mind like the the Greek understand this, this change uh, of, of intellect. And then in verse 20, right here, so he got up and he went to his father. So we see this change of the will, this Old Testament definition of turning around and now moving in the right direction. He was headed away from his father. He was doing his own thing in, in the country, squandering the wealth and living this lifestyle. And now he decides, hey, I need to do the right thing. And so he has the awakening in his mind, and then he turns and he actually starts carrying it out. He walks in the opposite direction and starts the journey towards what is right. That is repentance. That is exactly what repentance looks like. It's this awakening in our heart and in our mind to our lifestyle, the situation that we're in. It's the evaluation, the realization that What I'm doing is not working, or it's not right, or God is displeased, or any of those kinds of pieces. It's that awakening, that realization. But there's a second piece to repentance that is necessary, and that's the change of the will, the action that follows that. And without the action, there's no repentance. There's just remorse. And so what we see is the prodigal son then felt that and then realized, like, I could go back to my father. That would be the right thing to do. And even if he doesn't take me back, um, you can see that there's a, there's a sense here that he feels sorrow. He, he realizes that there's some broken relationship that's occurred. He realizes that he's, he's dishonored his father by what he's done. Uh, there's a lot of those pieces in there. But he, he realized, like, even if I have to pay the price... And be less than, if I'm no longer a son, I'm just a servant, I'd be happy with that because with my father would be the right thing. And so he's willing to pay 
that relational cost, that emotional cost, whatever that is, to make sure he's doing the right thing. So he's, it's, an, it's a change of will and purpose that happens, and he begins to carry that out. He makes the steps in carrying that out. Two very important pieces for repentance. Let's move on with the story because uh, many of us, I think, have the concept of repentance, of, uh, of a recognition of what's bad, and then a turning to what's good. And, and that comes out in various forms, whether there's uh, um, fire and brimstone like I was raised, whether there was you know, paying a debt or saying prayers or doing any of those kinds of things to make things right. We, we get that, that concept. And so let's continue the story. We're still in verse 20. It says, But while he was still a long way off, we're talking about the son who's returning, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's, he's probably at this stage about to go on to say, Listen, can I come back and just be a hired servant? Can, I just, can you employ me to work? I don't want anything for free, Dad. I, I just want to come back where I belong. The father doesn't give him a chance to go through all that. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is so important to realize you see, when the son came back, the father, he didn't make him pay back all the money he lost or squandered. He didn't make him take a subservient role in the home as punishment. He didn't have to deprive himself of, of, of the things that he would have normally been, been allotted to. He didn't have to endure any physical harm uh, as a result of punishment for running away. He didn't have to do any of those things. Now let's pause here for a moment. Because some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's awesome. I can just say I'm sorry and keep doing whatever I want to do and live my life. But that's not what repentance is. Repentance is this recognition that I'm living wrong. I'm moving in the wrong direction. And then it's a, a realization of that and then turning and living differently regardless of the outcome and the circumstances. That you're going to live differently whether you benefit from it or not that you know internally it's the right thing to do and the right way to live. That should be our approach and the son's approach. What this communicates to us is God the Father's response to you when you make that decision. And that's this. He doesn't make you pay penance. He doesn't say, oh, you really messed up. You're going to you're gonna have to make this up to me. You're going to have to pay back some money. You're going to have to donate this. You're going to have to serve here. You're going to have to do this. And by the way, uh, you're no longer uh, equal with all my children. You're a little less because you've harmed me and you've hurt me. So, so when you walk by me, you should have your head bowed and you should feel a lot of shame when you walk by me. That is not the response from the Father here. And we need to understand that this Father's response is God's response to us when we truly repent. You see, we're afraid to repent. We're afraid to, to actually admit. Many of us inside know that the way we're living is wrong. 
that the decisions we make aren't right, that the, the direction that we're headed to is not going to lead anywhere good. But there's something inside of us that makes us afraid to admit it and to come clean before God and before other people. We're afraid of punishment. We're afraid of having to pay. We're afraid of the shame it's going to bring. And I want you to know that that might be true for the, for the world around us, but that is not true for God. There is no shame. There is no guilt. There is no condemnation when we turn our hearts to God and our will and move in the right direction. In fact, it's just the reverse. There's joy in celebration. Now let's contrast that with another example in Scripture. And that would be in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to look at Judas. In Matthew chapter uh, 27, it's the story of Judas feeling remorse and Uh, If you don't know the story, Judas uh, Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. So they gave him money in in return. He looked for a time that he could hand Jesus over to them without the crowds being around. And so he worked with them to arrest Jesus. And so we pick up in verse 3 of chapter 27. It says this, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned... He was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Now it looks like repentance to me, doesn't it? He was filled with remorse. But then he tried to pay back what he had, he had taken or, or, or gotten. Like, this is going to make it better. Uh, see, I've got to pretend like I never did it. I feel really bad for what I did. And, and how can I... I'll give back the money and then I'll be, I'll be innocent. I'll be, I'll be free of this. Verse 4, he says, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Judas was full of of remorse for what he had done. And oftentimes we can be full of remorse for the, our behaviors, our actions, our, our, all those things, the, the direction of our life. We can, we can feel that remorse and say, man, I've done some terrible things. This is, this is bad. But he didn't have a change of will. And there's an important lesson we can learn here from Judas, because I think Judas responds to his sin like a lot of us respond we have this sense of remorse, this guilt, this, this pressure that weighs on our shoulders. And instead of, instead of turning to God and away from that sin and beginning to do what's right, we begin to try to fix it. We begin to pay out the money we need to pay. Or we start serving and doing these acts of kindness to kind of balance out and outweigh our sin. We try to return and make things back the way it was. Maybe the things that we broke, we try to fix it and set it all back in order again. But the the deed is done. But the will to change and to live differently, the turning to God never comes. So the remorse is overwhelming. And so here's the lesson that we learn from Judas is that remorse without any change ruins a person. And you say, well, what's your biblical context for that, Pastor Steve? I'm going to show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul writes this. 
Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. That's the difference. The prodigal son had godly sorrow. He realized, what am I doing? I'm living wrong. There was sorrow involved, but he turned. He said, I'm going back to my, dad, my father. I'm going back to my roots. I'm going back to my family. I'm going, I'm going to where I know I belong and what's right. And he made the changes and began to do that. That's godly sorrow led him to repentance, which led him to salvation, being received into the family and reconciled with his father with no regrets in his past for what he had done. That's godly sorrow and repentance. Worldly sorrow condemns, pushes you down, wants to make you pay for all of your sins. You got to return the silver. Serve this person. Do that one. Do you feel bad enough? You're lesser now. That's worldly sorrow. And it ruins a person. A knowledge of sin without turning from it dishonors God and ruins somebody. Can I tell you this morning that grief over sin and abandonment of sin are not the same thing? You can be sorry you stole a cookie out of the cookie jar, but it doesn't mean you don't want to take a cookie out of the cookie jar next time. It just means you're going to be a little smarter so you don't get caught. Godly repentance would say, I'm sorry I took a cookie out of the cookie jar. I'm never going to do that again. And doesn't even think about the cookie jar anymore and instead turns from it and walks away. There's a difference. Just because we feel sorry, just because we feel grief and remorse, doesn't mean we've repented. There has to be an act and a change of the will and the direction that we're living in our life. A turning from it and turning toward God. Let me wrap this up for you this morning. Repentance must be a part of every believer's foundation. When sin in our lives is realized, we abandon it and turn towards God. It's not a one-time act. It's not that we repent when we're, when we're sinners and then we get saved and we just live a life. No, it's a lifestyle of realizing when we're walking in the wrong direction, when we're saying the wrong things, when we're thinking the wrong things, when we're doing the wrong things, when we're believing the wrong things, that when we recognize those things, then we turn from them and we begin to pursue God. And we, present, we begin to pursue godliness. This is why the Apostle Paul could talk about, this is who you were, but you're no longer this. You are now a new creation in Christ. Because here's the amazing thing. Most of us don't think that we could actually live that life. So we talk ourselves out of the repentance. We feel the sorrow for it. And then we make up excuses. Like, well, I'm better than the person that lives next door to me. Or that's impossible. Nobody can live perfect. Or, or we, we fall on, on grace and we cheapen it. Well, God understands who I am. I don't, you know, he loves me just the way I am. All of these are true statements. But when you know there's sin in your life and you don't abandon it and walk in the other way, you dishonor God and in the end it leads to your ruin. And I know that's a harsh statement, but it's a true statement. 
And if you don't have that kind of repentance in the foundation of your life, you will crumble. And so I stand here today as your pastor, and I love you, and I look at, the, at your lives, and I, and I realize that some of you don't have repentance in your foundation. And when storms like that we're in now begin to uh, sway around us, guess what? Your foundation begins to crumble. Next thing you know, you're all over the place because you've never truly repented. You're trying to live with your sin and with God in the same house. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Many of you may be feeling remorse and you're trying to pay back what you've done. You're trying to pay God back. You're trying to pay the people around you back. Uh, you're, you're just trying to be a nicer person or you're trying to return the money or you're trying to fix it. Whatever you've done, is just if I, can, if I can fix it, everything will be okay. The first thing that we need to do with the remorse is a change of mind. This is, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to be this kind of person anymore. And then we turn towards godliness and we walk in that direction. Do you, ever, do, you do it perfectly every time? No. That's what grace is. Grace is, I can't do this right every time. My heart wants to. My desires want to. I'm trying to move in this direction, but sometimes I fail. And God says, my grace is sufficient. Continue to walk in that direction. But to make an excuse and not even walk in that direction is sin as well. I look around the world of Christianity today and I see a lot of people being ruined by the lack of repentance. And I'm here to encourage you, to challenge you, that as this picture of uh, this drawing of the prodigal son who's returning to the father, is that we need to see ourselves as we really are. Don't make any excuses. Don't compare yourself to the person next to you, but see who we are for who we really are are. And then change your mind and decide to do something about it. I'm not going to be that person anymore. I'm not going to live that way anymore. It leads to nowhere good. It hurts the people around me. It offends God. Whatever category it falls into and decide as a matter of the intellect, the mind, make a choice. There might be a lot of emotion around it. You might feel sad. You might feel grief or distress or remorse, but don't stop there. If you just stop at remorse, you follow the path of Judas. Change your mind and turn around and begin to walk towards godliness, towards God the Father, to Jesus Christ. Walk in that direction. Say, this is where I'm headed. And can I tell you that just like the parable, God is watching. He is waiting for you to turn and walk towards him so that he can welcome you joyfully so that he can celebrate so that he can have a feast and he can say my son my daughter who was once dead is now alive that's what god wants for you that's what i want for you to be welcomed joyfully 
by God, to, to move in a direction of salvation with no regret for past mistakes. It's amazing. There's some of you watching today that you've carried guilt in your life. True remorse and sorrow for some of the things that you've said, some of the things that you've done, some of the ways that you've lived your life. Maybe you're tasting some of the effects of that now. The consequences, so to speak. And I want to challenge you where you are right now to make a decision, not an emotional decision. We, we have too many instances where we have an emotional response where we feel bad and we say something and then the next day it's empty. Make an, make an intellectual choice to say, I'm not living this, any, this way anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not living this lifestyle. I'm not saying these things. I'm not thinking this way. And begin to distance yourself from it by turning and moving towards God. Make that choice today. And I promise you that the joy that comes from God will fill your heart, will fill your life. And then let me tell you this, as we're looking at the foundation of our spiritual homes, built on the rock of Jesus Christ, repentance needs to be a regular part of your foundation. Not just, yeah, I did that one time in my life. It's a, it's a constant lifestyle of realizing uh, the areas that you're, doing it wrong and turning and beginning to do it right. That may, may not even involve any emotion. I mean, look at the Ethiopian eunuch who um, was met on the road, I think it was by Philip. He was reading the scriptures and Philip jumped in and began to explain it to him. And he, he said, hey, uh, why can't I be baptized right now? They stopped on the side of the road. He baptized him. Went on. It doesn't record any emotional cut to the heart, crying out, tears or anything. That The Ethiopian just made a decision. This is what's right. I'm going to follow it. And everywhere else in our life, this makes sense. I mean, if I'm playing a sport and I'm doing something wrong and a professional comes and says, hey, if you'll stop doing this and you begin to do this, you'll, you'll get it. Or if you're cooking, someone says, hey, don't use that ingredient because it causes this, but use this ingredient instead. And you stop using that, but you begin using that. That would be a form of repentance. There's no regret. There's no beating yourself up and you go to bed like, oh, I'm such an idiot. I shouldn't have done it. You know, just stop doing the wrong and start headed towards God. That's godly repentance. And it should be part of our life as believers in our foundation that we live a lifestyle of when we realize by the, by the gift of the Holy Spirit that we're moving in the wrong direction, that we stop and we turn and we begin to move in God's direction. Consistently from the, from the, day, the first time till, till the day we die. Don't be afraid of it. It actually leads to joy and no regret. The reason these two go hand in hand in order to repent and move towards God, you have, to, you have to have faith in Him. You have to trust and believe that what He says is true. So you, you can't really rip one apart from the other. If you, without repentance, there's no faith. Without faith, there's no repentance. So they, they really, our hand and glove, go together. My hope and my desire would be that you would incorporate both of these in the foundation, the fabric of your life that says, you know what, I trust in God and I follow Him and Him alone. I obey His word. 
And so when I realize I've done something in my life that doesn't line up with him, I'm going to turn from that and follow him instead. That's repentance. That's faith. Let me pause here for a moment. I want to pray for you today. Because this this topic of repentance is so vital for your foundation. I don't want you to just feel remorse like, like Judas did. And in your own strength, try to make up for it. I mean, here's the thing. You may do things afterwards. You may volunteer. You may serve. You might give offerings. You might reconcile with somebody. You might do these things, but they don't come from a place of guilt and condemnation. They come from a place of joy and love afterwards. And that's why God says he loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want somebody who's just giving out of guilt because they don't, that, that signifies they haven't realized who God really is and what he really wants. And so pray with me today, right where you're at. If you have felt a weight on you of, of guilt, of sorrow, of distress, of remorse, and you haven't dealt with it appropriately, meaning you haven't turned to God and made a conscious choice, whatever I've done to create this, I'm not living that way anymore. I want to distance myself from this thought process, from this lifestyle, from whatever, whatever it is that's creating you to be where you are. That's repentance. Let's pray. Before I pray, I want to say this. The work of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16 or 17 is to convict the world of sin. You see, there are times in our life when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and starts messing around when we're walking in the wrong direction and begins to deal with us and say, hey, you're walking in the wrong direction. Change. Don't do this anymore. Live differently. And, and that right there is a measure of faith and grace given by God that he's opening your eyes and dealing with you on it. You can reject that feeling and, and the Holy Spirit might not mess with you again, but then you're leading down a path of ruin. And so if the Holy Spirit's messing with you about this today, I challenge you to deal with it now. Because this opportunity may pass. You might reject the Holy Spirit's working in your life and you might not deal with it. And you could end up, there does come a point in our believer's life where we've just gone too far of rejecting the Holy Spirit and we're left to live with the results. So if you're feeling that tug in your heart, I want to challenge you to deal with it today, right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit that convicts us, that makes us aware of the areas of our life where we're headed in the wrong direction. And just like the prodigal somewhere says he came to his senses, Lord, I know that there are people who are watching this now who are coming to their senses like, man, I've lived wrong, I've handled this wrong, I want different. But I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just stop with remorse or the awareness of it, but, Lord, that we would uh, fulfill the repentance of it and begin to have the fruit of repentance, which is the walking out and turning from it and living differently. And I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit's power that you would empower your people to make that choice today, not out out of an emotional conviction and plea, but out of a decision that I am going to follow God. I place my 
hope, I place my trust, my faith in Him, and I'm going to turn from this, whatever the outcome, and follow Him, because it's the right thing to do by God. Lord, I pray that you'd empower your people to do that, and I pray, Lord, as they make that decision and begin to walk in a different way, Lord, that your, your joy, the celebration that you feel over that, Lord, that you would impart to them, and they would feel that as well that a peace and a joy would come over them that they, they didn't know could happen. And I pray, Lord, for those believers who have lived a long time uh, going to church and knowing who you are, Lord, that we would continue to build a, an attitude of repentance in our life, that it would be part of our foundation, that we do this on a regular. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all the work that you're doing in our lives for making our foundation strong so that when things around us are going crazy, we know that we won't crumble and we won't fall because we're built on you. And so, Lord, may we have the components of faith in you and repentance strong in our foundations. We love you. We praise you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. If you've responded to God today, leave a comment in the section below. Um, if you've repented for the first time in your life and you want to know more, uh, you can comment below, message the church, send us an email, hyannisag at gmail.com, go on the website. Uh, let us know in some way, shape, or form. We'd like to connect with you and follow up. For the rest of you, I hope that you feel uh, as you repent and put your faith in God, I hope that you feel the, the joy of the Father, the celebration in His heart, His love for you, um, that you are no longer... Uh, dead, but you are alive in him and his child and, and nothing less. We love you. If you need us, give us a call. Otherwise, God bless. Have a great day today. Take care.